Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, everybody? Let's go ahead and jump into it. Welcome to another great episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince, the podcast. Today, we got a special treat for you. We got my main man, my brother, Mario West in the house. If you don't know him, you need to know him. He is from Douglasville, Georgia. He went to Georgia Tech. He was a walk-on at Georgia Tech. He earned a scholarship. He worked hard for everything that he has. He was an undrafted player, and he went to the Atlanta Hawks and played with them, played for Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson has some incredible things to say about him. I mean, Mario has been through a lot of trials and tribulations. Uh, he's he's one of my investment buddies as well. We invest in a lot of things together, man. And now he is doing work for the MBPA. He is the off-the-court host for the MBPA. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and introduce the man. Let's just bring him on and and, and just talk to him and see what he's doing and how he's impacting the community and the players that are transitioning out of the game and going into the game. Mario, how you doing today, brother? Man, happy Friday, Kings. I appreciate uh, the both of you, man, for having me on, man. Long time. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, have this opportunity. Man, that's awesome, man. Well, you're here today. We've been trying to get you on the show. It's been a, a, a while to try to get you here. But now that we're here, man, we are happy to have you here. And we want to just go ahead and jump into your life, man. Like, yeah, tell us Prince, when you started. Take over because Prince knows you. Y'all y'all been, been around. Y'all been friends and hanging out. The same thing happened last time when, when I had one of my buddies from college. We just started taking over the whole interview. But I'm going to jump in. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> my stuff out there. Mario, I, I want to know about your upbringing, man. Douglasville, Georgia. You know, I, I came from uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line too, from uh, from Maryland. But my family grew. My family's in, in Georgia and South Carolina. So, what was that like? You know, growing up in Douglasville, Georgia. So, so let me, if I if I can, let, let me back it up, man. So, so my roots, my birthplace is Huntsville, Alabama. A lot of people don't understand. You know, PJ don't, don't feel no type of way, you know what I'm saying? But I got to break it down so it will forever be broken, all right? Um, you know, my roots are from Huntsville, Alabama, man. So when it comes to, like, football, I'm a diehard, roll tide Alabama fan. Like, my my, my, my family, I, I, I have family that went there for football. Like, my grandmother on my mom and dad's side, grandfather, like, all of majority, 90% of my family is from Huntsville, Alabama. I didn't move to Douglasville until I was nine. 
You know what I mean? So a lot of people, it's hard for them to understand. Like, oh, man, you went to Georgia Tech. You grew up in Douglasville. So uh, I can say, man, the, the, the tale of two cities, like night and day. You know what I'm saying? Huntsville, Alabama, man, my upbringing, man, poor. Uh, you know, grew up in the projects. You know what I mean? But, you know, with my grandmother on my mom's side, you know what I'm saying? In a little bit of nicer area, I mean, in the projects, but the way that she kept her house and everything like that, man, you couldn't tell that it was in the projects. Then I moved to Douglasville, Georgia. My dad got out of the army. Then I moved more into like the suburbs, like a middle class. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I had the whole like 180. You know what I'm saying? It's almost I like to equate it to like uh, Will Smith. You know what I'm saying? When, he, when his uh, beginning, he was like, you know, moving to Bel Air and stuff like that. Now, we didn't have the butler and all that, but it was night and day, you know what I'm saying, from the Ville in Huntsville to Douglasville. Man, that, that's crazy because you don't really realize when I, mean, I grew up in Palmer Park, Maryland, my, my mother and father were both teenagers and we, we didn't have anything and then moved up real quick. And I didn't realize that we were that poor. I mean, we had everything that, you know, every time, you know, some foods, maybe sometime we didn't have food. But for the most part, we had the basics and like, it was your community that you knew what was around you. And, you know, the family and friends and people that were there made you feel like this is your community. So I didn't feel poor at first until I we moved out of the projects. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> we had nothing. Like, what, what was that like, that transition? Man, honestly, man, it, it's something that, you know, looking back. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I, I'm I'm just grateful. You know what I'm saying? Just grace. You know what I'm saying? Because when you come from an environment, definitely when you speak about, you know, the projects and stuff like that, like I realized we didn't have a lot. But the one thing that I've always had was love. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like, you know, and, and that can get you through some of the darkest of the darkest times. You know what I'm saying? So when oftentimes when you have food and, you know, things of that nature, because I come from such a huge family, it's one of those things where like, OK, if. Your, your granddad granddad cooked breakfast, right? And I love breakfast food or any meal, so, so to speak. Man, if you don't eat, if you turn around or sneeze or something like that, that piece of toast could be gone. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, who took my eggs? Man, who took my, you know what I'm saying, piece of chicken? You know what I'm saying? So it was just one of those things where you learn how to fight for survival, all those things instinctive, you know what I'm saying? And that builds you, that builds character. You know what I'm saying? That's adversity. So then when you get older and you transition, you know what I'm saying? You can appreciate things so much more. So, you know, one of the things is like growing up, uh, I never had my own bike until I got older. So, man, I'm telling you, when I first got that little 10-speed, <laughs> that little Huffy bike or whatever was the brand name, man, I used to shine that thing. I used to get the armor all spread on the tires and stuff like you would have thought I had a brand new whip. You know what I'm saying? But the transition comes from not having nothing to then having something and you want to make sure that you're able to preserve it and learn to take care of it. You know what I'm saying? That you appreciate those things and you don't take anything for granted. Look at that. Don't take anything for granted, man. So uh, so how did you end up leaving from Huntsville, uh, Alabama and making it to Georgia? How did that process happen? Yeah, man. So, so basically uh, it was really tough. I'm not going to lie, man. At this point, uh, my mom had been in and out of uh, jail. My mom had a uh, she had a, a drug problem, man. I'm, I'm just going to you know call it what it is, man. She had got addicted uh, much like you, right? My, my parents were teenagers. You know what I'm saying? So my mom was 16 when she was actually pregnant with me, a junior in high school. You know, shout out to her that she ended up she still graduating and everything like that. My dad had just finished his senior year. My dad actually, believe it or not, man, my dad had a, um, a, a scholarship, you know what I'm saying? I think like East Tennessee or something like that, small school or whatever. But he decided to, to forego the, the scholarships that he had for football. He was a, a badass, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. on, on the football field. And he said, you know what, man, I'm going to go into the Army. I'm about to have a son. 
And so, you know, just that early upbringing, man, you know, you get caught up in the street life. And I think it started off, you know, with my mom as recreation, but then, you know, you get addicted. And so she was in and out of jail. And so while my dad was over in the army, you know, naturally who steps in when you have teenage parents, your grandparents, big mama, and shout out to our bless. Uh, man, I, I love that woman, man. I wouldn't be here for, you know, if it wasn't for her and my grandparents, my grandfather too, Archie West, man, they were by far the most influential people to ever come in my life, man. And I thank them, you know what I'm saying, uh, daily up until the day they died. I try to do everything that I could to show that, you know, my appreciation, man, and the the uh, the principles, the life skills, all those things that they left and instilled in me, man. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you just think like life and, and the people around you to help kind of, you know, build you. You know what I'm saying? And so to answer your question, man, my dad had to get out of the army. My mom had got really, really bad. You know what I'm saying? Where she was, she would get out and then go right back to jail. And she could tell that was causing a lot. You know what I'm saying? Because at the time I'm nine years old. And so my dad was like, look, I got to go ahead and get out, man. I got a son. You know what I'm saying? My dad had a, a, a fiance at the time. He was like, look, I'm about to start a whole nother life. I'm going to remove you from this environment because I don't want you to, uh, Surround yourself around this. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to leave you with, with this quote, man. Um, don't allow the limitations of your background to reduce the height of your potential. Mm -hmm. So my background, I come from, the, you know what I'm saying, the, from, from the projects. And sometimes when you come from the projects, they say, well, man, you limited, man. You ain't going gonna to be just like everybody else. But see, for my dad, him getting out of the army, he was like, look, man, look, you want to be a ball player? All right, man, you're going to be a ball player. You want to be a doctor? You're going to be whatever it is that you want to be. But don't allow those limitations just because you come from the projects that others place on you to reduce the height of what you can accomplish in life. That so part. And came and got me, man. We moved to Douglasville, Georgia, just like that. Got out of the army, man. Started a whole new life. You know what I'm saying? And so just here, just got married. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough too, man, that I have two moms, man. You know, I don't look at my, my uh, quote unquote stepmom as a stepmom. She stepped in, man, because she, I was nine years old. She was 22 at the time, stepping in to take care of somebody else's child, man. And so, She's been a mother figure in my life, man. So I got to shout out her. And you know what? I mean, that is a, a unique situation because, uh, you know, growing up in a family that dealt with drug addiction, uh, uh, my uncle, my father, uh, my aunt, my other uncle, I mean, it, it, it was just so rampant. And, and you get a whole different, unique perspective when you have to deal with that, folks that are struggling with that and uh, you know, being around some of your family members that's like that. So that's unique that you had more people in your life that were were, were, were solid. And then as you know, your, your mom struggled, you know, she still, you know, you still were able to, to support her and try to figure out how do we help her? Because it is a disease, man. And, it, and, it's, and it's tough to actually be a part of it and see somebody that you love struggling. So, you know, that's a unique situation, man. I, I, I love to hear, uh, you know, from your perspective about how that affected you going forward. And, you know, as you grew up as a young man, how did that affect you and some of your thought processes as you grew up? Because for me, my, my friends would come out, they had cocaine, they had to try this. I'm like, no, nah, I, I, I've seen what it does. I've seen what this does, a heroin, see what it does. I'm not doing it. How did that affect you in your, in your thought process? Well, I, I would say it affected me tremendously, man. Uh, you know, from the positive side, I would say it made me more driven. You know what I mean? Just to see my mom, you know, struggle the way that she struggled. And not only was it just my mom, I had other aunties and, you know what I'm saying, other family members that, that struggled with, with drug problems. But man, this is my mom. This is the woman that, that birthed me. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, my mom missed out on a lot of uh, 
cool things that I would say, you know, graduations, you know, first games and, you know, different things. And we've never had that relationship, even unfortunately still to this day, we don't have that, that type of relationship, you know what I'm saying, that, that I would like, you know what I'm saying, of what I would consider normalcy, you know what I'm saying, where I could just call my mom, hey, you know, mom, I'm dating, you know what I'm saying, I got a crush on this girl, can you, you know, tell me about this, can I come home, you know what I'm saying, mom, you're going to make my favorite meal and stuff like that, we never really, really had that time, you know what I'm saying, and honestly, I don't feel like she knows me, I mean, obviously she knows that I'm her son, I know that's my mom, but there's so much in between because there's so much time that's been lost. And so it affected me. It made me more driven. Uh, I know there's been a lot of stipulations. I'm going to say this. Hopefully this don't come out the wrong way because there's been a lot of misconceptions about marijuana. You know what I'm saying? But I even hated my mom, you know, uh, growing up watching her because I've seen her physically smoke crack. You know what I'm saying? I, I can tell by the smell. I can see the eyes. You know what I'm saying? Most when those eyes are buck and geek like that. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I know what a rock looks like. You know what I'm saying? I know what the drug panera like. I can, you know, break it out like I was around that. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, uh, you know, even watch her smoke marijuana because I felt like that was it. Like I said, don't, you know, listen to what I'm saying. I hope, you know, the, the viewers and stuff like that, because marijuana does so many positive things, you know, for others. But if anything is not uh, managed the right way, you know what I'm saying? It can get out of hand. It's just watching even my mom, you know, smoke. I hated to even watch her, you know, smoke marijuana because I'm like, you know what? All this is going to lead to is like that marijuana is not going to be enough for you. So now you're going to need another high. You know what I'm saying? You're going to need something else that's going to, you know, really, really get you there. So I can say to this day at 39 years old, I've never even smoked marijuana. You know what I'm saying? And I, I never will, because in my mind, it was a, a negative, you know what I'm saying, stigmatization on it based off what I seen my mom abuse it and not use it for the right way. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, things like that, man. And I've never really, you know, dealt with people that, that were involved, you know what I'm saying, with drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like, no knock, you know what I'm saying, on anyone that does smoke marijuana or anything like that. But it's just not for me, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've just never, you know, and I always said, you know what? I'm going to go to harder at basketball and in sports because one day I never really wanted to be rich. That was never like my goal. Some people are like, man, I want to make it to the league. I want to be rich. I want to have all this money, this and this and that. You know what I'm saying? My main thing was just that my idol, Michael Jordan, played in the NBA. It was something fun to do. And then I also just wanted to be in a position to try to get my mom to help, you know what I'm saying, that she needed. I wanted to have my own house. And so when you come up in the projects, it's like, man, or, you know, an apartment and you have one bathroom and you can't turn on the, you, I don't know if y'all, you know, growing up, man, like you, you're trying to turn on the shower, you can't flush the coat, you know what I'm saying? Because it's cold, man, I want the coat, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go in there at in, in you know what I'm saying at nighttime and roaches everywhere. You turn on the light, you know what I'm saying? They scatter, they scatter. I go for rats. You know what I'm saying? I said I wanted to have my own, you know what I'm saying? And so just seeing her and, and other family members in the struggle with drugs and said, I, I never want to do that. I never want to have that break up the family. That be the reason to break up the family. That's beautiful, man. Right? And then so basketball became your way out. How, how did you find basketball? Man, interesting enough, man. I got a shout out, ma'am. If I'm going to brag on my family, man, I got to brag on my family. I come from nothing but athletes, man. <laughs> you know, as, as as the youngsters, you know what I'm saying, no cap. You know what I'm saying? Look it up. It is written in Huntsville, Alabama. The Pride family, the, the West, and the Blackburns. I'm talking mm. about my aunties. They all did volleyball and basketball. My uncles did football, basketball. And I had one uncle that was like a Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. He also did baseball. You know what I'm saying? So just growing up, man, you know, when you grow up, man, we didn't have no iPad and, you know, maybe it was Nintendo, but look, you got to get outside. You better go outside and you better play. You know what I'm saying? All day long. You know what I mean? And so uh, I started the Boys and Girls Club. Shout out to the Boys and Girls Club, man, because, 
you know, I'm not sure how many around, you know what I'm saying, the world they are, they're still up, man. But the Boys and Girls Club really saved my life, man, in terms of not only me, but also my cousins, too, and family members, because it was something to keep us off the street during the summer. Because we were so hungry, like you said, man, it was many nights we didn't have uh, have food. We used to have what's called those sack lunches, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll be, you know, um, a, a little hamburger bun with like, you know, a bologna sandwich and, and, and t- or turkey and cheese in there and a little small little juice, juice box and like an apple. Man, yeah. you can tell me that sandwich, not sandwich, that sandwich. That, that sandwich. <laughs> man, and, and if we was lucky enough to find a microwave and heat that thing, what? Mm. Man. So, bringing it back for me. So I started playing. I started playing ball at, at the age of seven, and it was just naturally. I was just like gifted. You know what I'm saying? And I just continued to progress and progress, man. But yeah, at the age of seven, the boys and girls club. So Huntsville, Alabama, off Holmes Avenue. Shout out. So, so once once you found basketball, uh, were you tall as at a young age, or did you get your height, or did you already know like you had the opportunity, or were like you, you had some guys that end up becoming. Um, you know, shorter than they get, you know, their height at a later age. And then you know, they, they start off being a point guard and end up becoming a center or shooting guard or power forward or whatever. When did you know that you were going to be, uh, you know, a big dog? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So as it pertains to my height, like I was always like lean in terms of my size. But, you know, I really, really grew. And then I really hit a growth spurt. Um, I would say... Seventh going to eighth grade year, I got those uh, two basketball pictures. But in terms of my skill, like I was always a point guard. Like the first thing that I was able to do was being able to handle the ball and make like make a layup. You know what I'm saying? Like the basic fundamentals. You know what I'm saying? Like shooting. Yeah, I could make shots. But before my age, like I when I say I dominated, you know, not to brag, but when I say I dominate, I dominated my age class. You know what I'm saying? If I was playing seven year olds, I dominated them. You know what I'm saying? Eight-year-olds, I dominate them. Now when we got, you know, to nine-year-olds and stuff like that, that's when it was like, okay, that's competition. And that's really what helped accelerate me from being, you know, a top dog at seven to being, shoot, just a dog, period, any age group. You know what I mean? And so I progressed along in terms of uh, my athletic ability and really, really honed into that by playing against older kids. And, you know, when you're going up against kids in the projects, man, (laughs) ain't no being soft. You know how that is, man. You get picked on. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you got bullies, and you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's crazy because um, Zach Randolph has a quote during the game. He, he was him and uh, Boogie Cousins was going back. He was like, "Man, I'm from where uh, bullies get picked on." You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that that type of time. So, man, those things, man. And then you factor in the things that's going on at home too, as well. So that's gonna build a lot of things in terms of your character. Like, man. Situation ain't right with my mom. Now I'm out here planting. This is my my escape. So I'm gonna go harder. You know what I'm saying? And just trying to find that that balance. And basketball, thankful enough, basketball was that. But um, yeah, man, my height really, really progressed. Like I got some tall uncles, but it was kind of steady. It wasn't one of those where I was just taller than everybody, or I was just bigger than everybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I was solid for my size, but my skill level was at at the top. You had heart. That's what they say. As long oh, as yeah. he had heart, he was gonna compete. <laughs> 
right? Oh, and that's yeah. the most important thing, man. So, look, so we, we, we're we in middle school. Now we get to high school. And as you're getting to – you're progressing to high school, did you get recruited by schools? And how did you end up at Georgia Tech? Yeah, man, that's, that's interesting, man. So quick story about that. Um, you know, we, we all get the little letters and stuff like that, man. And in high school, we actually did a, uh, a Clemson. We went to Clemson for a basketball camp. And I did really well. I remember seeing, uh, what's his name? Will Will Solomon. I remember seeing him shoot the ball, man. Will Solomon, man, a Clemson legend. Shout out to Will Solomon, man. And just seeing him like, wow. And being in Little John, being in that, that Coliseum, you know what I'm saying? Things think like, man, one day, you know, it'll be cool for me to go here. So one of my biggest influences, if I uh, might back up for a second, my uncle Howard, the guy, my uncle that, that played the three sports, played uh, baseball, football, and basketball. He went to Vanderbilt University. I remember going to see him at Vanderbilt, you know, playing college and everything like that. And so it was like, wow, you know what I mean? Like your first like glimpse of, you know, what college like and being on a campus. So I always wanted to, to go to a big school. And so then when I, you know, get to high school, now Georgia Tech is, you know, making a buzz. You got Mulberry, you know what I'm saying? You got Kenny Anderson, Lethal Weapon 3, Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver, Mark Price, James Forrest, you know what I'm saying? You got all of these guys, Malcolm Mackey, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man. So my thing was I never wanted to go far away, but I didn't want to be close to home. And I remember uh, getting home from school because, you know, anytime there's the ACC uh, tournament, it would be like during the day. So I would get home you know what I'm saying, from school, and then the ACC tournament would be on. And then I remember watching uh, Georgia Tech, I think it was uh, 2001. I remember Sean Fine them making a shot or something like that, in up going to the tournament, and they had a black coach. So during my senior year in high school, um, I got some letters. I remember I got a letter from um, – at this time I hadn't gotten a letter from Georgia Tech, but we were playing McEachern High School. Josh Smith, the legend himself, got a shout-out Josh Smith, was playing at McEachern. He was a sophomore. We went head to head. I had no idea that Coach Hewitt was in the stands. He was there recruiting Josh Smith. They also had a, another first round draft pick in Morris Alban, who ended up going to Rice. I think Morris Alban was a, a junior at the time. But anyway, had a really, really good game. Uh, we won. I remember 32 points I had. Josh Smith had 26 points. We won the game. But Coach Hewitt was really, really impressive. Like, man, this kid, Mario West, I've never heard of him. So after the game, well, a day later, he reached out to my high school coach. He was like, man, who's recruiting this kid? He was like, really? Nobody. He's like, he wants to go to Georgia Tech? He was like, well, look, man, I don't think we have a scholarship available, but they did. But, you know, that's another story. He was like, well, look, man, how are his grades? You know what I'm saying? So maybe he could walk on. And so, you know, at that time, I only had one scholarship offer, and that was from Tennessee State, HBCU. And when I tell you, man, just, you know, I went on a visit to Tennessee State, all I know, I went to one part and I had my shirt came off. <laughs> I knew right then and there. I was like, "Look, hey, shout out to Eddie George over there." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened. They took me to a party, man. But but shout out Tennessee State, man. HBCU, man. I, I think that would have been a phenomenal experience, man. Had not I chose to go there, but it was just my my heart was set in. You know what I'm saying at, at Georgia Tech, man. So really, that's how I ended up at Georgia Tech, man. You know, just from that game, that opportunity. You know what I mean? And uh, they extended that, hey, if he could walk on, I prefer walk on. And, um, yeah, walked on. I remember having a conversation with my dad. And that's one thing I, I got to shout out my dad because I know we, we didn't have the money financially. And I remember really feeling like I let my dad down because I didn't receive a scholarship. Like, I never wanted my, my, my people to pay for school. Because even though, like, coming from the projects now, I'm saying we middle class, 
we don't have it like that. You know what I'm saying? Georgia Tech ain't cheap. And my dad, man, he, he said, man, the realest thing that you that he could ever say, and, and that was going back to my quote earlier, don't allow the limitations on your background. Man, you're from the projects. How you think you ever going to go to Georgia Tech? He said, no, nah, we ain't going to allow that to reduce the height of your potential. He said, look, son, if you want to go to Georgia Tech, man, I'm going to figure it out. I got you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that, that just, man, for, for him to do that, to stand on like that, man, and, you know, so the rest is history. I ended up at, you know, Georgia Tech. No, Ray, I, I know you got something to say, man. Come on, man. I got to jump in. This, this, this is where this is where I can relate. Look, so we, we have so many similarities in terms of our background, in terms of uh, me. The only difference was I wanted to get far away from home. I didn't care about staying close to home because I'm from Houston, Texas. So I was I need to get far, far away from my parents because I wanted to grow up. But I still had that 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 tenacious attitude. Um, I, I got recruited in a similar manner. They Georgia Tech wasn't recruiting at my high school at all. I did not sign with the school beforehand because I didn't do well on a standardized test or I didn't pass a standardized test. And so um, I fell underneath the radar. We had a coach that came. His name's, name's, name was Lance Thompson. Shout out to Lance Thompson. He came. He was coming to recruit a younger cat that played defense, he saw me and he was just like, who is this kid, man? I like this kid. I want to have an interview with him. He saw one tape of me. I ran somebody over, jumped over somebody, ran an 80 yard touchdown. He's like, I don't need to see no more. Let me meet the kid. So I ended up uh, going to North Texas. I had a, I had a visit at North Texas uh, and a college visit. I ended up getting drunk and I was like, you know, this ain't for me, man. I got to get out of here. <laughs> and I, you know, so I learned my lesson, but I was driven. I didn't know where I was going to end up, but I knew that I wanted to go somewhere. And I ended up going to Georgia Tech and they asked me to walk on, get to that walk on uh, um, moment. And the coaches, I shake their hand. It was a verbal agreement. They said, hey, you're going to come here and walk on, do good on and off the field. And we can see if you can earn a scholarship. And I was like, cool. So I get there and now I am uh, this, this small fish in a big pond and I had to navigate. So I'm trying to figure everything out. I, I for me, I had to scrap when it came to lunch. Like for my meals, I you know I had to get my teammates to bring food out for me, and it was like I felt homeless. But at the same time, as you said, it wasn't cheap to go to Georgia Tech. But my 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 family was like, "We're gonna figure it out. You're gonna go." So that feeling that you got, that you received from your dad was the same feeling that I received from my family. They were a supporting cast, and they just told me right away, "You're gonna go to Georgia Tech, and you're gonna do your thing." So I had a chip on my shoulder as well. I need to make make it because in high school. I felt like I let my family down because I didn't get a scholarship or I turned down a scholarship, a couple of scholarships, and I didn't do well on the, on the standardized test. So with all that being said, man, what was it like when you first got on campus, you was a walk-on and you had a plan? What, were, what was your aim and what, what made you relentless in terms of not stopping until you saw your dream become a reality? Yeah, I, I could say um... – really was humility. You know, you spoke about, man, being a small fish, you know what I'm saying, in a big pond. And I'm like, shoot, or a small fish in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? I mean, at the time we had Chris Bosch, Jared Jack. And I remember, it's funny because I wore number four in high school, right? That was my jersey number. You can, I don't know if you guys see it back there. That's my basketball, you know, jersey right there. I wore number four. So when I got to Georgia Tech, I was on the phone with the assistant coach. And he said, man, what number you want? I said, I want number four. 
And he said, man, sorry, man, uh, that's Chris' number. Back then, there's no social media or anything like that. So I had no idea who Chris was. Chris is a Texas legend. You know what I'm saying? So I said, you know, me and me being like kind of like cocky, kind of feeling myself like, man, I'm, I'm going to come to Georgia Tech. I mean, tell Chris we'll play one on one. And he's like, no, nah, man, sorry, you can't do that, man. So they just basically gave me number five. And I remember the first day on campus walking up and I see this tall dude. I'm talking about, man, neck for days, look like a giraffe. I'm like, dang, he's tall. I'm like looking up, right? Guy sticks out and saying, Chris has a like, like deep voice, right? How you doing? My name is Chris Bosch. I'm thinking to myself, and I, I don't say this, but I'm like, yeah, that number four, that's going to look a lot better on you than it is on me. So being on Georgia Tech, man, it was definitely humility. It was one of those things like, look, man, you're here, but you can't be satisfied. You know what I'm saying? Because at this time, nobody had graduated, you know what I'm saying, from, from college. You know what I'm saying? So only maybe one other person, well, my uncle, I take that back. My uncle had graduated, maybe like two people. You know what I'm saying? And so I know it meant a lot for my dad, the sacrifices he made, even for my grandparents. You know what I'm saying? It's like they passed off the baton. My grandma raised me and took me furthest that she can go. My grandparents did, right? Handed me back off to my dad. My dad was like, look, man, um, it almost reminds me of the thing with uh, Boys in the Hood, right? When Trey goes to live with his dad and he's having that, that, that friction, it's like, man, I don't want to go live with my dad. But then once he starts living with his dad, and then the mom is, you know, trying to get back in the picture and everything like that. He's like, look, I don't want to go. Like, this is what I know. So I want to try to achieve, you know, the things that you put me in a position to achieve. So, man, just being on Georgia Tech campus, man, and just seeing the guys. I got a shout out to uh, Jared Jack, Chris Bosch, BJ Elder, Ishmael Muhammad, Marvin Lewis, man, Rob Brooks, Dave Nelson, Big Dave, Dave Ewan. All those guys really helped me. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people see the finished product, but terms is being academically, you know what I'm saying? Like focus and also focus on the uh, on the basketball court, too, as well. And then we had a strength and conditioning coach, man. So I really say that all that to say, man, it takes a village and the people you surround it. You know what I'm saying? Iron sharpens iron. You know what I'm saying? And got to shout out, you know, PJ, obviously, you know, watching you and the things that, that you had to overcome, too, as well, man, like makes you feel something proud, man. I'm proud, Yellow Jacket, man. I'm proud to say I went there. I'm proud to say that I got out. Cause it wasn't easy surviving Georgia Tech. <laughs> Man, that's insane. And so you, you come on as a walk on. The team is loaded. You talk about Chris Bosh, Jared Jack. I mean, you got you got stars at every single position. Your first year, I think you you redshirted your first year, right? Right, redshirted. Yes. And so, what is your thought process to say, okay, they got stars. These guys are NBA bound. How do I crack the lineup? Or were you just like determined and say? You know, uh, I play against them in practice. Now I, I know what I can do. I know I can be that 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 next guy. Right. I think it comes down to one of those things where uh, one of the hardest things to do in life, man, is be patient. Wait for your time. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about this. Like when we pray for something, right? We pray for some old oh God, you know, bless me or whatever your, your faith is or whatever your higher power. You pray for something. He's like, man, I'm waiting on it. I pray for it, you know what I mean? But to be patient, to really, really trust the process. And for me, red shirt was the best thing that could have happened to me, man, because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready uh, mentally. I wasn't ready emotionally. I wasn't even ready physically. You know what I'm saying? Like to, to really step into that and to, to be a, because those guys, they were just better and far better. 
But what happened was when I redshirted, you know what I'm saying? I began to kind of close the gap. Remember I said iron sharpens iron, and it took me back to when I was seven playing against the nine-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? So then that first time I playing against the nine-year-olds, like, man, they here. But now this next year, I'm eight, they 10. You know what? I'm closing that gap. So in that one year, I was able really, really to close that gap. But you know what? I came to the realization. It's like, look, man, these guys, man, they tie, they shoot. They put on their little tights and, and shorts. They, they put on their shoes, you know what I'm saying, one at a time and, and tie their shoes up just like me. I can run and jump just like them. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing the same work as them. I'm lifting weights. You see your little muscles and stuff like that. You're looking in the chest you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of feeling myself a little bit. But, you know, the, the finishing touch, man, in, in, in all of this, man, was really was just God's divine intervention because there was a lot of nights. And I know PJ can attest to this, man. I would go back to my dorm room crying. Like, so mad, man, because it's like, man, I want my shot. You know what I'm saying? Not only do I want my shot, when I did get my shot, I didn't perform. I wasn't, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't because it wasn't so much that I was ready, but I just wasn't good enough. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, what's wrong with me? You know what I'm saying? So one of the toughest things to do is to have a conversation with yourself and and, and to be real with yourself. Not with any other peers, but with yourself. To look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, man, Rio, man, look, you're just not good enough, man. So what you going to be? What, you, you going to go back? You're going to uh, drop out of school. You want to transfer. You know what I'm saying? No, man, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm planted here at Georgia Tech, man. And you know what, man? I'm that rose that uh, from, from concrete. You know what I'm saying? That's me. I'm that type of flower. So you're going to see. So over time, what you saw was, man, reps, you know, and practice and stuff like that, man, just making the most of the opportunity. Whether I got one minute of the game or whether I got, you know, two minutes, I'm going to make, you know what I'm saying, my presence felt. And that was just my mindset, man. And over time, you saw how that kind of paid off for me. Look, you know, the legendary AI, uh, Alan Iverson, always mentions uh, practice, you know, in that, in that famous, <laughs> that famous uh, clip. Practice, practice. <laughs> and one, one thing that I'd, I had learned about you was practice was, was the place where your game improved tremendously the players they would get out of class and you would go to practice and you would be going so hard and your teammates would, would tell you like Rio calm it down right but you had this 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 speed this determination to improve your game and eventually you improve not only your game but your teammates games and they appreciate you in the long run man so can you tell me uh, what what was that like when 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 you're going hard and everybody's telling you, hey man, you got to slow it down, man. You you you're going too hard. Yeah, man. I'm the modern day Rudy. Rudy, uh, the movie Rudy, um, is one of my my favorite uh, movies, sports movies rather. One of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, I, I I remember vividly, you know, in the movie, you know, of him going through that same thing. You know what I'm saying? Trying to make the team, and even though he's now he's on the team. You know what I'm saying? He's not in the starting like lineup. He doesn't get to dress out. So that was his game. Practice was his game. So for me, it was the same thing. Practice, that was my game. Mm. So I could care less if I'm getting under anyone's skin or anything like that. At this point, man, it's like, look, I have two jobs. My number one job is to make sure that I'm preparing my teammates for the upcoming game. You know what I'm saying? So that I'm getting them better. Number two, I also have to individually make sure that I'm the being the best version of myself because I never know when I'm going to be called upon to be in a position to help the team. Yeah. It's as simple as that. You know what I'm saying? Help the team and then make sure that you're in the best shape, 
make sure that you are mentally locked in, folks, because you never know when you're going to get that opportunity. So it, it was challenging. It, it was definitely, definitely challenging, man. It was challenging for, for a number of reasons, man, because, you know, at some point, you know, man, I'm winning all these win sprints and, you know, doing all these things and still not getting the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Because everyone wants to shine. You know what I'm saying? But can you be the person in someone else's shadow and understand, you know what, man, I'm here for, you know, however long time it is. But you know what? One day I'm going to be in that position mm. and I'm still going to cheer. And root. There's no jealousy. There's no envy, anything. A lot of people can't do that. Like I have no problem being a Robin because I'm going to shine like no other. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be like, man. I don't even want to be Batman. I want to be Robin. That's just how I'm, I'm that type of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like I can play second fielder. I can play third, fourth and be totally perfect in my skin. So, you know, the practices and things and stuff like that, man, as you mentioned, got the respect of my, my teammates, man. And that meant a lot. But then also you, you saw to the gap started to close and then my confidence just continued to grow each and every year. So you, you start making that that progress. Um, and getting your opportunity and you take to make the most of your opportunity. And then you come and you have an opportunity as say NBA, the, the draft, like maybe that's a possibility. And then you go to go into draft and then you don't get drafted. Like what was that feeling like when you had the thought process? I made my progression. I was the best guy on this, on this squad over here and I should be picked up by a team here in the draft and you go and draft it. Yeah, so it was one of those things where it's it's hope. Uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes that talks uh, in the Bible, man, is it's like, man, if you have faith as as small as a mustard seed, <laughs> you can say to that mountain, move, and it shall move. And I remember during that time, Kwame Brown was the top player in the state of Georgia, and I remember he went number one overall. And uh, in in two thousand, this was two thousand two. You know, what I'm saying coming out of coming out of high school. And so I had that thought like, man, you know, one day, man, when it's my time, man, and during my last year at Georgia Tech, I actually had two teammates get drafted, two talented freshmen. Shout out to uh, Thad Young, Thaddeus Young, who's still playing in the NBA. I think this is his 16th uh, year in the NBA for the Toronto Raptors. And a really, really talented guard that uh, played a few years in the NBA, Javaris Crittenton, was a man child. These were two freshmen that I saw go first round, right? So I knew that I, I mean, cause I didn't even get any, any, uh, you know, workouts, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I knew that the, the journey was going to be, you know, a lot different for me, but one thing that I felt like that, that kind of helped because I participated in a slam dunk competition during the final four and I won that. And a lot of people didn't know that I had that type of athleticism because you just didn't, you just didn't see that. Like I had a role and, you know, just circumstances. So that kind of gave me the exposure that I needed to at least get, you know, I thought, man, last pick or something like that. And I remember uh, 2007, now don't quote me on this, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that they took Vernon Hamilton from, from Clemson, a guard, with the 60th uh, pick of the second round. I think it was the Dallas Mavericks. And I remember, like, sitting on the couch. I was at my parents' house. I was like, you know what, man? Like, it was kind of like a low blow. It was like one of them, shh, one of them, one of them punches by Pops of Mike Tyson's, you know what I'm saying, to kind of just – Hold on, give me a minute. I'm, I'm all right. You're all right. Hold on, just give me a minute. And then it was like, after that, man, I'm, I'm cool. I got to get to work. I still got to figure it out. I still got to stay on this path. I might be delayed, but I won't be denied. You know what I'm saying? It, it was one of those things. Like, look, I might be delayed, but I won't be denied. So, and I had to say that, man, with conviction, man, because that was just kind of like my mindset, man. Y'all make me relax, man. I was sitting on my couch, man, and I was crying. I didn't get drafted. But I'm all right. But, um, you know, that's just a part of it, man. You know, that's just that's just part of it. But 
things happened and things, you know, still worked out, man, in my favor. Man, so you get picked up by the, the hometown team, the Atlanta Hawks, that give you an opportunity to come in there. Right. And, you know, just like as, as a walk-on, you know, the undrafted free agents uh, are never the first people to get the opportunity. So, you know, I think going through that process as a walk-on, like, okay, I, I already been here before. I just got to prove myself again. Right. So what was that like when you, you got there and they said, okay, here, you actually made the team. And, uh, you know, we, we're going to keep you on here and, and having a career with the Hawks. Yeah, man, that's that's interesting, man. It's not a, really a day that goes by, man, that I, I don't reflect on what God has done, you know, in my life and, and the opportunities that, that he's um, awarded me. You know what I'm saying? If any man wants more than an opportunity, he's ungrateful. I don't want to hear it. If any man wants more than an opportunity, he's ungrateful. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted a shot. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted an opportunity to go out and do what I knew I was capable of doing. It's almost like, I'm the type, look, man, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may be. You know what I'm saying? And then you decide. So that, And I had nothing to lose. I, I said nothing to lose, but everything to gain. So it was interesting. You know, the Hawks had just drafted uh, AC Law. Shout out to my man, AC Law, one of my, still really one of my good friends. And Al Horford, who's still playing in the, in the league to this day. Still one of my, my good friends too as well, man. Al is still doing the thing. Look up to Al, man, doing some amazing things. Uh, that he's done throughout his career and off the court. But they drafted those. And then you got other guys that's trying to make a team, right? So you got dudes out there that's going super, super hard. So for me, you know, because I had to make the summer – like my route, it wasn't just you got to make the team. I had to make the summer league team. Then after I make the summer league team, then get invited back to veterans camp. Veterans camp is, you know, during the preseason. Then I got to make the team. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like it was levels to that. So I made the summer league team and I didn't do anything spectacular, man. I just played hard. You know what I'm saying? I always feel like, man, if you just do your best, everyone is always worrying about, you know, what this one is doing and this one is doing and such and such. Man, it's one of those things where I learned as I was doing some research. I can't remember why, but um Racehorses. I'm not sure if any of you guys are familiar, you know, Kentucky Derby and stuff like that. But these horses, they have on what's called blinders. And the reason that they have on blinders is so that they can't turn and look to the right or they look to the left. Because if they do, then they'll trip and fall, you know what I'm saying, as they're racing. When you're pursuing your dream, you got to have on those same type of blinders. You can't worry about, well, man, hey, this man is playing more than me. He's doing such and such and this person doing it because then you will miss and you won't get across the finish line. So I was just totally locked in. I'm going to do what Mario West does. And what Mario West does is that he elevates the level of play with everybody else. Yeah, there may be some more skillful players than Mario West, but there will not be one single player that plays harder than Mario West. And that's my calling. That's my That was my like my gift. And so what you see is, is that the most skilled players, and when you have someone that plays exceptionally hard, well, man, you know what? That skill level, uh, it's sorry. I'd rather take the guy to play hard because that, that skill level, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, over time. And so that's what started to stick out. And so that's how I was able to make uh, the summer league. And then when I got to veterans camp, I took that confidence of like, because I actually had my agents like, look, man, you did an incredible feat by making a summer league team. Now they invited you back to, to veterans camp. So now my uh, my earning potential overseas, like now I had a deal for like 100000 that's a lot. That's 10 grand a month tax free. You know what I told my agent? I said, no, nah, man. I said, man, I'm gonna turn it down. He's like, no, nah, man. He was trying to convince. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to go to Vanderbilt. He's like, man, 
it you, your ch- you got a better chance of hitting the lottery <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i'm like look man i'm gonna bet on myself I, I understand that and then once i got around the guys like joe johnson uh marvin williams josh childress josh smith who i played against you know what i'm saying those guys they like you know what man when we playing pickup and stuff like that pickup games instead of me being the last person to, uh, to be picked i'm like the third person to get picked look i want him on my team because i know he gonna play you know what i'm saying so it's man god will align the universe god will, will, will make things align for your way man if you just bet on yourself and you just have the faith faith as a mustard seed so we we hear now um you you get all these lessons you learn about life um you had a chance to play against kobe and lebron james which i, I need, let me just go ahead and ask which one was better you know what man <clears throat> both of them um propose a, a different challenge for me um Physically, LeBron, I mean, well, let me start. I'm 6'3". LeBron is 6'9". Kobe is 6'6". So even when they jump, you know what I'm saying, to shoot, and I'm trying to contest, they still don't see me because of the, the height advantage, right? So LeBron is so physically gifted. And this shout-out to, to, to the king, man, you know, to, to see what he's doing throughout his career. I mean, still going, I think it's this year 20, if I'm not mistaken, year 20, to see what, what he's doing. Uh, it's just phenomenal. And just physically, he's just just gifted. You know what I'm saying? And so he proposed a, a different type because he was just so strong. And I really, really, he was a threat when he got in the paint area. To me, personally, me guarding him. Around the perimeter, I felt like I was able to get up underneath him. You know what I'm saying? But when he got into that paint, I'm talking about P.J. Daniels, just a monster. But at 6'9", just a straight ox. Like, that, that boy, P.J., you know you're ox. Get off me. Get off me. But Kobe Bryant... He's different in the terms of his his gifts and stuff in terms of his footwork. It's just phenomenal. You know what I'm saying? So around the perimeter, you know what I'm saying, three-point shot, and he can shoot with his left hand. He can shoot off balance and everything like that. So he proposed a different threat because he had, you know what I'm saying, a different like repertoire that, that he can open up. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't have to worry about getting to the paint. He can just get to the elbow, you know what I'm saying, or hesitate at the three-point line. So – Shout out to both of them, man. It was definitely an honor, man. And rest in peace to, to Kobe Bryant, man. Definitely an inspiration still, you know, in disbelief, man. But I'm grateful that I had the moments that I had to share with him on the court. And, um, you know, forever, you know, will be a, uh, a special moment. Man, that's beautiful, man. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. After you, you finished with your NBA career, man, you learned a lot of lessons. And so now you've transitioned to being a part of the NBA PA, either director of off the court, uh, and you and and that's hosted by the NBA PA. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and then just tell everybody where they can find you and what you're working on? We'll close it out. All right, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So I am the director of Off the Court. It's really a privilege and honor to serve in this role, going into four years uh, in this role for the NBA PA. And it's interesting enough that I struggled. I'm going to tell you like this, man. I struggled mightily trying to figure out my next steps after basketball. And I would like to, you know, to, to leave it as what I like to call Batman versus Bruce Wayne, right? So when you play the game, you know, the perception, right? Because you have a perception of media and personas and, and different things like that. All athletes have this identity thing. I don't care what you say. For me, like I said, this is how I, I like to uh, phrase it. Batman, 7 o'clock, right? Nighttime, right? He go and saves the day. You know what I'm saying? Seven o'clock, you put on that uniform, and for others, it's like a cape, right? And that's when oftentimes the games is played, and they view you as a superhero, whether you're 
the, the number one guy or you're the 14th or 15th guy, right? And because you play in the NBA, right, when you're done playing, they look at you like, man, why you why your head down or why you frowning up, man? You can't have a care in the world. You Bruce Wayne. Like, that's the kind of perception. Bruce Wayne was rich, right? I mean, filthy rich. That is the perception of most athletes, you know what I'm saying, from the public uh, perception is that, okay, man, you – I remember when you played at Georgia Tech, man. I remember when you – you know, play with the Hawks and such and such, man. You made up like they don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, man, I made some, some money, but like, man, I got my whole rest of the life to, to live for. I didn't. I'm not Bruce Wayne, and so I had to, again to have that difficult conversation with myself. So, me now being the director of off the court, which is basically a transition program, helping guys figure out their next steps after basketball, and our focus is, is on five key areas: mental health and wellness, the brotherhood career, physical wellness, and financial literacy. All those I struggle with, you know what I'm saying, as I was transitioning. And so now I'm, you know, you, you play the game of basketball, right? You play it for, 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 the, for, the, for the trophy, right? The winning championship. That's the award. Now God has put me in a position where now it's a reward knowing that I helped someone that, that's going through the same kind of path and journey and things that, that I went through. Now I have direct influence and impact, man. So they can find me on Instagram at Mario West six. They can also check out my nonprofit Mario West foundation, Inc. Um, I have a book out. I'm an author, defend the dream, proud author, man. I wrote a book really, really detailing my, my, my struggles, my journey, um, go to MarioWest.com uh, for that. And the title of the book is uh, Defend the Dream, the Ultimate Playbook to Achieve Any Dream in Life. Phenomenal. That, that's 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 drop the mic worthy right there. Right. Boom. <laughs> that's how you close it out right there, man. All right. That's how you close it Look, uh, Mario. Appreciate you guys, man. Appreciate y'all having me, man. This is dope, man. I want to salute y'all. Continue to keep doing, you know, what y'all are doing, man. And thank y'all for, for having me uh, this afternoon, brothers. I appreciate y'all. Man, I, I, we we always ask um, everybody, you know, last words, last words of wisdom. But you already gave the, all the wisdom and dropped the jewels, man. So appreciate you, man. Love you, bro. Let's keep Much getting more investments, man. Let's keep making. Let's keep leading the way for our successes, man. So you know how it is. We know you got to go, so we're gonna go and let you go. Have a good one, man. Appreciate everything, brother. Like we always say, how we end the show. Yeah. Peace, peace, and power. Peace. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. No, 
available now wherever you listen to music. Wonder to Nostalgia. 